Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. You may be thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career. We want to help you do that and live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my 30 plus years of global HR leadership and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, career stories, career coaching and workshops, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to Enhancing Leadership and Executive Presence in a Changing Environment. We all know that the ability to project confidence and substance, especially under pressure, and present effectively with an ability to read and influence an audience is something we all can grow and develop in throughout our whole career. Working remotely also brings many new considerations. This key capability is multifaceted, takes focus and practice, and can set leaders apart. I look forward to exploring it further with our guest today, Annette Grant. Annette is the founder, CEO of Executive Speaking, and has been coaching leaders and emerging leaders for the past 40 years. She has coached CEOs of Fortune 100s, small business entrepreneurs, and every level in between. She has worked across nearly every industry in the business world and has tremendous global experience coaching leaders whose first language may be Chinese, French, Hindi, Portuguese, and many more. In addition to coaching, Annette has published over 100 articles in business publications such as Forbes, The New York Times, and Business Week. She earned a bachelor's from McGill University and a master's in fine arts in directing theater from the University of Minnesota and has been a theater critic. Welcome, Annette, and thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm looking forward. So give us a little background, if you will. How did you get into the whole space of executive communications? I came to this country as a graduate student to do my master's of fine arts in directing theater. I was never an actress. I was always a director. And then I graduated and that was good. And the original plan was to go back to Canada because that's where I'm from. But then I got married (laughs) and then my life changed. And I figured out, okay, what am I going to do now? I'm not going to Broadway. I'm not going to Canada because I thought I would have a real competitive advantage with my degree in Canada, which I would have. So then I had to regroup and figure out what to do. And I had writing skills, I had performance training skills, I had tremendous skills in in my wheelhouse, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I was a theater critic for the newspaper, first for the college paper, then for the Star and Tribune. I was a writer, I was getting things published nationally. I was a copywriter, I was teaching in community college, and I just didn't know what to do with my life. I had all these little fragments. So then I went to women's groups, it's fabulous. And the women said to me, well, Annette, with your background, you should be in the presentation business. And I said to them, well, what's a presentation? I was in a different world. And they said, well, and then you should go to New York. It's a big business. You should see what they're doing in New York. So I went to New York. I took a bunch of courses in New York. I came back saying, I'm better than these people. And then I started my business just like that. Fantastic. And clearly there was demand then and there still is now. This is a perennial need and topic. Yes. Another skill that I had, I mentioned I'd been a writer and I had learned how to write to get articles from major national publications. You had to write a letter. So I had a letter writing skill and I used that 
to introduce myself to the business community. And it was a very good start. I came up with innovations in the field, and it was just a grand beginning. I was so fortunate because I got big jobs. I got jobs with Ford Motor Company when they were changing their culture, and they wanted somebody to help their task force of excellence communicate change up and down the organization. It was a big, big success. And so then they sent me to Asia to work with their Asia team, their leadership team. That was my reward. And then when General Electric was introducing all of their quality initiatives, they hired me to train all of their engineers to communicate all of their new ideas that they just come back from Japan. So I got all of these accelerated opportunities to learn and grow. And so it really gave me a foundation to grow and understand the complexity of large organizations and also the complexity of working globally. Clearly, good communication is really fundamental for good leadership. What do you find professionals usually come to work with you for? What are some of the most common concerns or challenges in growing their leadership, communication, and presence? One of the big issues is they have to learn how to project a positive spirit to the board. That's a big thing. Now you say, why do they need a positive spirit? Well, if they're the CFO or the COO, they tend to be practical people. (laughs) I'm going to tell you the numbers. And I'm going to be straightforward with you. But the CEO oftentimes has a vision and he wants the same line. He doesn't want them to distort the facts. But instead of saying the facts, this is the glass half empty, he wants them to say this is the glass half full. So one big need is that positive energy and spirit, particularly at the C-suite level going to board of directors. Another big issue is particularly with new executives who are coming into their roles. They've been hired as the new president. They've been hired as the new CFO. They have to learn how to navigate their style with the style of the organization. And it takes some adjusting. And the challenge is, how do you do that in a way that is authentic? So it's not losing yourself to the culture. Like recently I was working with a culture, very old line culture. You know, how many years have you been there? Only 10. And my client was a new person in. And also the only woman at the top level. Okay, so how does she take her style and match with this basically old boy style that is a been there for 10 years plus, 20 years plus, and her job is to introduce innovation into that organization. So how does she learn to navigate and have a terrific style, but it has to be authentic? And that's one of the things that's so important when leaders are learning how to speak better. You can't approach it from a stick-on basis. Okay, I'm going to stick on this skill. I'm going to stick on another skill. Here, here's all the skills you can stick on. You watched YouTube. You watched TED Talks. You got all the stickers, okay? (laughs) It was great for acquiring stickers. But how do you integrate that with your own style in a way that works for you? And that's what I love helping executives do is to find their true voice. And then how do we blend it? with the organizational requirements. You need both. You need organizational sensitivity, 
but you also need authenticity to who you are. When you get to the level, I work with a lot of senior level people, they've earned the right to be themselves. And you don't want to ever take that away and say, you've got to be like somebody else. No. What I have to do as a coach is really listen and understand them and see and stimulate them and see what they do when they're really good and then show them how to do that again. So it's really fun. I love that. I think you're right earlier, you mentioned match, but then I love this. This is the true voice, but you have to be cognizant and blend with the requirements. Leadership has evolved too. The style of leadership today is more authentic. So I imagine, I'd love your point of view on this, that it is much more of an invitation to find that balance than it used to be. You have to sound like this, look like this. It was more boxed in. The style has changed tremendously. In the old days, when I started, if you were a senior executive, you projected authority by being stiff and serious because you were a suit. And it was good to be a suit. And it was good to be a buttoned up suit. And if you're a woman, it was good to be a suit with a princess collar. (laughs) You had to be a suit, one gender or the other. It was very focused. That has totally changed. You can't be like that anymore. And because one reason you can't be like that is because it's boring. And audiences today don't want boring communication. Another reason you can't be like that is there's been so much research in the area of communication about gesturing, about energy, that if you don't gesture and you don't come alive, it's going to affect how you talk, your voice, your energy, everything. So the old days of the being the rigid suit are gone. And that is so important, especially for up and coming emerging leaders. Because what happens to them when they go to present is they get stiff. They're really good talking with their people. They're friendly. They're alive. But put them in front of the CEO of the company and all of a sudden they become stiff and rigid. And part of that may come from their background because some of them maybe have come from an environment where they were told, hey, you're in front of an authority person. Listen up. Or education that said sit still. Or they had many, many influences that would cause them to be very stiff and rigid when they're talking upward. Fear, and it counts. That impression is so important. Now, obviously, they've had meetings with the CEO before, whatever, but that first one, especially for the emerging leaders, is so important that they come across with the right level of clarity, precision, but also a sense of their their personality. Who are they? Because the leader, I always tell them, the leader is trying to understand, are you a potential leader for my future in my company? I want to see that. That's why you're here. (laughs) I want to know you as a person. I can get the data from a machine. I don't need you to communicate the data to me. But I want to know who you are, how you think, if I can trust you and work with you. And do you have a big runway ahead of you? So I've got to communicate that to my clients and help them, not that they're casual and sloppy and, you know, man, is everything, but just the right level where they show precision and authenticity. Can you tell us about 
your own framework for this and also maybe a couple of tips, if there are some general ones, that for enhancing or growing one's capability broadly? First of all, you have to understand that you can have a natural ability, but if you don't get the skills on top of that, you're going to be average. That's it. You're just going to be average because you have no awareness of what you're doing. You have no understanding of the patterns that you use in your own communication. So your first step is to say, how do I communicate? How do I get an awareness? Not because I'm bad. My clients, some of them are the best speakers in their companies. It's not because you're bad. It's because this is a very competitive marketplace today. And you have to be really good. And to be really good, what speakers do, a lot of speakers who think they're really good, they do, they get excited. And they're excited for 20 minutes. And they're nonstop excited. And the audience is going, give me a break. I just, it's exhausting. They think it's charismatic, but it's exhausting. So one of the first tips is that they have to develop an awareness of what they're doing and how to understand what they're doing. I think another tip, particularly today in today's virtual environment, is they have to take it seriously. What I mean by that, I go to so many virtual meetings. People are half off the screen, they're lying down, they're just saying, okay, it doesn't really matter because I'm in my home and therefore I'm not worried about my impression. That's not true. You have to think about that. You have to think about your shot. You have to think about your presence. And you have to recognize that you have a different advantage now. In the old days, and coming back, hopefully, where we actually will have live presentations, and we will have some. If you were big, let's say you were six foot two, and you were slim and tall and handsome, oh boy, did you have leadership presence as an advantage when you walked in the room. Now we're all the same size on the screen no more advantage of size. So you're all there. So you have to think about your presence, not as part of your size anymore, but as part of your energy, as part of the way you gesture, as the way you structure your rhythm and your energy, not just your size. Another tip that I think is really, really important in today's environment, virtual and in the future, you have to get to the point. So many clients want to do a big wind up. I'm going to give you all the background. I'm going to give you all the history because I want you to really understand how I think. And the executive goes, I don't care how you think. I just want what is the point and what's it got to do with me? So they've got to switch from that. Now, that's an interesting question because that is cultural in the U.S. When you deal with other cultures around the world, then you get into different discussions. One of the ways that people think about this is in terms of high context or low context cultures. Do you need the background and the history or do you wanna just get to the point? Another way that you have to think about that point culturally is, and this is something I've been working on lately because I've been working with a lot of Japanese clients. Are you dealing with a Western way of thinking or an Eastern way of thinking? What does that mean? If you're dealing with a Western way of thinking, you think about the particular. Let's say I want to promote Joe. 
So I'm going to do a presentation to promote Joe. If I'm in a Western culture, I would say, this is what Joe does so well. Joe has exceeded plan. Joe has done this. He's done a fabulous job. We should promote Joe. If you are in a more Asian culture, you would not say because Joe is terrific. You would say we could think about promoting Joe because of his contribution to the team. And then you would reference what the team said about Joe, <laughs> because they tend to look at their culture from a holistic point of view, not from a particular point of view. And as we're going more global and with this virtual environment, we're all over the world. I'm all over the world all the time. We really have to start developing a cultural awareness of who we're talking to and what is the cultural context in which we are getting to the point. Now, we can still get to the point, but we get to the point a little bit differently, depending on the culture that we're in. And I believe just as we're getting sensitivity to diversity in the U.S., we have to have sensitivity to diversity all around the world, that it's not just American-style rules. It rules in the U.S., but it doesn't rule in every country in the world. And I think we have to approach this from a little bit of humility. I love this point. I'll just share, you're right, that context is so important of who you're communicating with, but also you within your own context. Years ago, I was working with a Japanese team in a very high stakes M&A transaction. And we all went to this tool called GlobeSmart, which I was a huge fan of. And what I got to see, let's say one dimension was task versus relationship. Well, I happen to be, task is very high in the US. I happen to be even higher. <laughs> and the team I was working with, Japan is very relationship, and they were even higher. So it made a big difference. We would start meetings, and I would want to go straight to the project plan, and they would open it up. And I'm not kidding with 15 to 20 minutes of relationship discussion. How was your weekend? What did you do? And I learned so much paying attention, knowing myself but also a different style and way of operating that, to your point, brought out the best of both. I think if we have that sensitivity, then we can make conscious choices to be inclusive. And we can recognize that it is so challenging. The other day I was on coaching a client who is in Bangkok, who's Japanese, and she's in charge of a region that goes from Australia, China, Japan, Vietnam, and all those countries. Think about all the different cultures you have in one cross-functional group. It's amazing. And I think it is rich. It's sort of like food. You get different flavors <laughs> and you get to appreciate all the culinary styles around the world. Well, we have to be appreciative of all the communication styles around the world that learn how to navigate and help people and make the decisions that are intuitive conscious so that people know what they're doing and they can have a good relationships and have good business transactions and have a good success in terms of establishing. So clearly context and culture matter a lot. And I want to dial back to your comments about the virtual environment. Before we do, a couple of more general ones. One is you mentioned there's so many modes of communication, of course. There's written, there's the in-person, smaller meetings, virtually formal 
presentations. Are people generally really variable across them? You could be really a great writer, but not a good presenter. Or generally, are you finding that in the leadership and the professional realm, you have opportunities to really grow in all? I think you have your fundamentals that are the same. In other words, your personality is going to be the same. Your speaking style is going to be the same. But what's different in virtual is you have no leeway. You have to command attention. Whereas if you're in a meeting room and you're a senior executive, you will have attention because you're there as a physical presence. But here, the other observation that I've heard from my clients, the level of scrutiny of the senior executives has skyrocketed because of the virtual environments. Before, if you were in a real meeting, people would look at other people, they would look away. Now they're looking at you all the time. While you're presenting or? All the time. All the time, just the whole meeting, you're staring at each other. <laughs> so that goes to the you're always on too. Always on, always on. What does it mean to have a strong leadership presence as a leader and executive? Why in your mind does it really matter? One of the reasons it matters is people want to admire their leaders. We want to have leaders we admire. And your communication is what's visible. So if you're a leader, that's what they can admire. They can't admire what they don't see. Like you may be the greatest strategist behind the closed door, but I don't see that. What I see is how you communicate. So that's why it's really, really important. One of the requirements, one of the fundamentals that you have to have to have leadership presence is you have to have clean speech. No ahs, no errs, no fillers, uh, 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 doesn't work. In a formal presentation or all the time? All the time, because it is so disruptive. If I uh, was talking uh, like this all the time, and especially spontaneously, uh, you see how I'm getting jerky? That won't fly. I work with someone and they stop and start what they're saying all the time. I've observed that because you're right, it's very distracting for me. It's like you're going down this road, but now we're on this road, or maybe we should take a detour here. It is a challenge. Well, one of the reasons they're stopping and starting, there could be many reasons. And when I work with clients, I analyze all the reasons. But one of the reasons is they're editing their thoughts. In other words, we speak at about 150 to 200 words a minute. We think at about 800 words a minute. So they're rehearsing it in their mind because they want to get it right. So they're playing editor while they're talking. And the result is you get a very fragmented communication. You see them thinking about what they're saying. You see them saying what they're saying. So you get a lot of split focus and you lose interest fast. As we're talking about this area, obviously, many in leadership are often under a lot of stress. And I imagine, and I've certainly experienced that communications under stress can be more flustered or frantic, or you can appear overwhelmed. Is there a great tip you have for how to keep calm and even keeled, more composed when you're operating under a lot of stress? When you're operating under a lot of stress, you have to think of taking a little sip of air and focusing on the exhale. Everybody says take a big breath. Uh-uh. What do you do with a big breath? You hold it. What happens when you hold your breath? You get more nervous. So just think of getting into a rhythm. One, two, three, four, and then exhale. Just think about exhaling slowly. 
and don't over breathe. That is critical. You also mentioned we think of communications as what we put out. Can you speak to the criticality of listening? There was just an interesting study on hearing because it was a study that said that when people gestured and they spoke and if the gesture matched what they were saying, they had an increase in hearing by 20%. If, on the other hand, the gestures did not match what they were saying, they had a decrease in hearing the words by 40%. The receiver did. Uh huh. We have to think about both factors in terms of listening. The biggest challenge that I face as a coach is not that people don't hear, because they generally do hear, but they don't demonstrate that they are listening. They just jump to their point and they don't connect with the point that was made. And so people perceive them as not listening. So you have to show the connection between what you're saying and what they just said, and then you are perceived as listening. Now, you don't have to repeat the exact words, but you have to do what I call align with them. You have to demonstrate, if you ask me a question about this, I have to say this, and then I add what I want to say. But I don't just add what I want to say and not have anything to connect with what you just asked or what you just said. So you have to make a connection. You had mentioned the importance of succinctness and getting to the point. How about any tips on that? I myself have done the writing things down, really making sure to think before I speak. You have to realize that there are certain patterns that you use in your speaking. One of the patterns that you use is that you have a signal, like an oral bullet point when you start your idea. So if you say to me, what are my goals? My signal that I would start with would be, one of my goals. And if I start with that signal, then I'm going to get to the point very easily. So you have to think of your communication in basically three parts. You have to think of it as a signal, as an idea, and then as data. And you have to think of it as a visual map of that pattern. And then you can be organized in any situation. So you did mention how important self-awareness is. And what's the correlation in your mind, again, to great presence and communication as a leader? A couple of my clients, I started working with their VPs, and now they're CEOs of Fortune 50 companies. They hire me to watch their videos and go over their videos with them. They are so concerned about being the best they can be. They feel it as an obligation to their team. They're not ego people. They're not doing it because they want to be important. They have the jobs. (laughs) They want to give their people something that's memorable and powerful. And they know that they want to be at their best. And so we spend a lot of time, this is what you're doing, and helping them to get awareness of what they're doing that is really resonating with their people so they can do more of that. And when do they lose their people so they can do less of that? So, yes, it's not because they're doing things wrong. If you're a leader in business today, you're doing a lot of things right. You are not starting at ground zero. You are a good communicator. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a leader today. 
often people send messages without reading or checking them first. Is that a common? I find it, I do it sometimes. And then I look at it and go, oh, there's a mistake. And I just find I'm receiving them. And I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure they didn't. This is happening. And I'm hearing people say in the speed that we're all working at, that's happening a lot. Yeah, another thing that's happening that I particularly, I just wrote about, I just finished another article on Fast Company on virtual communication. So people are instant messaging and in the middle of meetings constantly. Ah, oh, I think there has to be some rules on that. Well, let's talk about this. Let's get into virtual because as a presenter, that is really distracting and or it's very hard to gauge today, different than an in-person audience where you can see faces and you might not even read them right, but you can tell if someone's disengaging or they're not interested or see cues. Today, it's really difficult to know how you're doing when you're presenting virtually. You can tell a little bit because you can get cohesion, but you get all these messages. Like I was in a meeting the other day of women presidents organizations and people were talking about their vision of their company. And somebody was mentioned that they had worked on a Pendleton a bike. What kind of bike were you doing? What, what are you doing? And all this sidebar conversation while this leader was trying to talk about her business strategy. Now you could say everybody was listening and friendly, but I looked at it and I said, would that happen in a real meeting? Would you be shooting messages to people? And my recommendation for a lot of people is that that has to be a cultural decision. Do you set the rules? Okay, are we going to stop the meeting and deal with these questions? Are we going to feel good? If, oh, great point, wasn't that interesting? Why, why do I need that in the middle of my discussion? And it can get really out of hand. And I think that that has to be addressed because people say, well, it's just dimensional, right? It's the new age. We instant message everybody all the time. Okay, but look at the cost of that meeting. If you take six people who are on a meeting for an hour, that's an expensive meeting. And how do we get the value out of the meeting? And if we need time for social chat, why don't we build that into the beginning or the end of the meeting, but not confuse social chat with business function? I do wonder too if this massive shift that went virtually, some of those protocols and guidelines and how we want to operate lagged because we also didn't want to impose that much stress in the stress of the change, but maybe it's lagging. I think it is lagging and I think people have to think about the impact that it has and the impact of what they're trying to do. And it's just this whole, we're all in this world where everything was new. And now it's not new anymore. So now we have to realize this is the world. The world is going to be like this. What are the rules? How might leaders really embrace working in a virtual environment and enhancing their communication presence and impact in that environment? One of the most obvious decisions that everybody has to make is the shot. And I don't talk about the lighting and all that, that's basics, but what shot do you want? And a lot of people are on close up, like they're really too close to their cameras all the time and they're not getting their body involved in their communication. Why would you wanna be that close to somebody? It's like, if you were having dinner with somebody, would you really wanna be in their face? <laughs> You would want a table in between. You would want a little space in between. But somehow people have assumed that Zoom is a close-up media. 
That is so interesting because I think I assume that and you're right. Think of all the body gestures you're not seeing or missing. You're not seeing anything and you can't, that's so limiting and it's too intense. So we have to think of getting a whole shot, just like you would be at a desk. You wouldn't be a, a desk that was up to your chin. Can you imagine if you were in a meeting and all we could see was your chin and your chest? Like it would, you would feel like a child, right? <laughs> like in a high chair. And you've got everybody on screen. I can't tell you, most of the people that I have to tell them when I'm coaching somebody, okay, let's get the shot. Move back. Let's frame it. Tilt your camera. I want to see your whole half of your body or at least what we call in the business world, like a three button shot or something like that. I just don't want to see your face and your neck because that's too close. So I think that's very important for me to think about is that we don't want it. So now occasionally, now we get confused because when we watch movies and television and news, they go into close-ups. They really want close-ups. So you've got to be prepared if you're on the media to be in a close-up media. But if you're on a standard virtual meeting, you're not on the news and you're not going to be dealing with those close-ups. And so you can't be so close up. That's important. Another tip would be get rid of the virtual environments, buy a screen or something, a drape or something like that. What happens when people move, they cut in and out. So you see their body coming in and out. It's just, it is so weird. And you say, well, people have to tune that out. Now I'm going to tune that out. Okay. How much of my concentration does it take for me to tune out that behavior? So instead of me being able to focus 100%, maybe now I have to spend 30% not paying attention to that. And so I think that it detracts from presence enormously. I'd love to ask you, Annette, about confidence. It can be a big barrier that impacts a lot of leadership context and ability, but I can imagine it really can get in the way in terms of communication and presence. Can you tell us about what you're seeing in that regard and any thoughts on that? We did a study that we published in an academic journal on how CEOs view themselves in their spontaneous speaking. And we determined that CEOs tend to overestimate their ability. And we varied it. We measured it in many different ways, frame by frame. And it was published in a very high level academic journal. So I think that people have to develop an awareness. And what, what does confidence come from? It comes from being in control. We don't have confidence when we're out of control, when we don't know what we're doing. So you need skills, you need awareness, you need practice. It's like, I work with a lot of people who have speaking anxiety and it's terrible. My heart goes out to everybody who has speaking anxiety because it's very, very difficult and it's very real. If you're getting a panic attack and you're getting all these feelings, it's like, okay. So how do I teach it? Well, I teach it so that they learn every single skill and concentrate on what they're doing. And it works most of the time. Two or three out of 100 doesn't work. What I always have to find out first, and this is really important for anybody who wonders about anxiety, is it my feeling or is it visible? Because sometimes it's your feeling. And sometimes it's visible. 
And so, for example, when I'm interviewing people who have anxiety problems, I ask them to hold up a finger and say, if you have a little anxiety, hold up one finger. If you have a lot of anxiety, hold up two fingers. If it's really bad, hold up three fingers. Because then when we review the video, we can say, all right, let's calibrate. How did you feel on the inside? And then what was showing on the outside? And it is so important to think about that relationship because so oftentimes people think that it's showing so much and it isn't. And that's a very important awareness building step. Then you go into the technical skills you need. But I don't believe, I've studied this area so much and I have a behavioral approach. Some people will have, you know, common sense, look for the smiley face, pretend your audience is naked, all that stuff. I don't think that helps. I think that's a Band-Aid. I think that the anxiety is a real problem and we have to have more fundamental solutions. From your whole journey, any career insights, career tips that you might share with us? One advice I would give other entrepreneurs, because I've been in business for over 40 years. I've been through recessions. I've been through 9-11. I've been through this COVID. I've been through everything. Okay. You can't lose what you don't have. When people go to make a sale and they don't get a sale, you didn't lose it. You didn't have it. You see, you can't lose anything you don't have. And if you approach life like that, it is so liberating because you'll never then be moaning what you didn't get or worried about what you didn't get. You didn't have it. So you're just where you were. You haven't lost anything. You're where you are. And the other advice I would give people is there's no magic sale. When you're starting out in business, you believe in the magic sale. You believe that if I get the best clients and I get the best publicity and I get everything right, everybody will just come and want to work with me. Yeah, I remember. I had that belief. I was walking down the street in Tokyo. I had been working with Ford. My picture was in Fortune magazine. I was in Forbes. I thought the phone would ring off the hook. It did not. (laughs) You have to keep being relevant to people. There is no magic sale. You've got to work at it every day and you can't lose what you don't have. You didn't have that sale in the morning. You don't have it at night. You haven't lost anything. That's brilliant. I really want to thank you for this conversation and all the insights you shared and so many tips. We got some very practical tips. I just really want to thank you so much, Annette. It's always so delightful to talk with you and to have the opportunity to contribute to people who are listening and want to be better speakers. Thank you so much. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at modern underscore career. We'll include all the sources noted in this episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Mm -hmm.